Hello, I'm Michael Hasted, and you're listening to Arts Talk Radio, bringing you interviews and news relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, which are either in English or where language is no problem. We cover Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam, and the surrounding areas. Arts Talk Radio Online. Interviews and features on the arts in English. It's all about music this week. It's 50 years to the day since the Holland Pop Festival took place at Kralingen in Rotterdam. We meet the man who was responsible for mounting it and creating Mojo, one of the biggest concert promoters in Europe. Pop or rock music in all its forms has been a significant factor in all our lives and the visual aspects have been almost as important. I went to meet a man who has put together an exhibition which brings together music and art. I'm in the Kunsthal in Rotterdam and I'm with Max Dax, who is the curator of a new exhibition which is called Black Album, White Cube. And what's the basic premise of the show? Uh, I want to make the invisible visible. I want to show how invisible sound waves, how music materializes in uh, art, in various forms of art, in the form of paintings, in the form of installations, videos, sculptures, drawings, you name it. But this is maybe not, maybe not what people would expect because there are no record sleeves as such. It's very much an exhibition of art with a capital A, which is related to, to music. Which generally came first with this? Was it the art or was it the music? The art is uh, first. For me it was important to, for instance, find out why certain painters, really painters who paint on canvas, oil colors on canvas, uh, why they seem to me so contemporary, why they seem to me so 21st century. And I noticed that a lot of these painters um, were so into the now, uh, um, here and now, because they allowed influences from the music in their, in their uh, uh, paintings and um, that was some sort of a starting point uh, to, 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 to realize that a lot of the paintings that speak to me, that appeal to me, that they um, had a background in music, that they sort of tried to make the invisible influx of music visible or tangible in painting. Because there is, there is very much a, a dialogue between art and, and, and music. I think a lot of artists fancy themselves as rock stars and a lot of rock stars would like to have the you know, respectability, if you like, of, of fine art. What, how, how is this dichotomy resolved? Is it dis uh, resolved? Yeah, that's a thread in the exhibition, what you just uh, said. Um, I think it's a love and hate relationship between um, artists and uh, musicians. And as you said, um, um, Bob Dylan cannot uh, walk into a cafe without being recognized. He cannot uh, have... Uh, yeah, uh, he cannot live a normal life and maybe he envies a bit uh, um, Albert Oehlen, who, who's probably the most famous uh, uh, painter in the world at the moment, who can 
without any problem move freely through the world and both are superstars in their uh, genre and at the same time um, artists visual artists sometimes envy uh, musicians for for having a stage and having thousands of people clapping and applauding but I think in this dynamic tension there's also a power that can be like um, transferred into art or music there was, there was another aspect to that but what you just said it was interesting was mm. that because the rock star an essential part of that is the recognition mm. and the essential part of being an artist is the, is the or not so the two are never going to meet there's this essential dichotomy yes uh, between fine art and and well, with, well, pop well, art well, with art. the usual exception there's picasso there's damien hearst i mean there's some people who 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 sort of became pop stars uh, uh, in the in the art world, but, but sometimes I think they model themselves after rock stars. Maybe not so much Picasso, but uh, but Jeff Koons for sure. Well, Jeff Koons, absolutely. But I think in, in the time of Picasso, I mean, times times were very different. You didn't have social media, you didn't have mass coverage, and everything else. So, uh, there were, can we just talk about a couple of the the exhibi exhibits? There's one which particularly appealed to me, and that was the the, the White Album. Yeah. The it's essentially it's a it's a record shop. And it's filled with how many? I think more than 2,700 copies of the White Album. And they've all got records in there, all the real thing? Hmm? Have they all actually got the albums inside or is it just the covers? No, they all have uh, records inside and actually you are allowed to browse as a spectator or um, when, you, when you visit the show you can uh, browse through the albums. You can pick one and play it on, on a record player, but I have to tell you, it's always the same album. It's always <laughs> the same songs, but they all sound differently, of course, because the, 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 uh, you, yeah, there are traces of usage, uh, heavy tr traces of usage on most of the albums, so it's more uh, white noise than it's white noise on a white album. So how did this exhibition come, come about? Because your background, I think, is in, in rock journalism or... Well, I wouldn't say that. Uh, I mean, yes, I, I worked in the field of music journalism, yes, but uh, the, the, the thing that uh, made me maybe different from other colleagues was that I was never interested in telling the story of uh, rock music. I was always interested in the influences, in the, in the things that inspire people. So uh, when I would interview a musician, I would second question latest the second question would be uh, what art uh, inspires someone or what what films have you seen like sort of I, i'm really interested in i don't think that it's a hermetic world you know i think that there is um, there's other worlds outside and if you limit yourself to tell the story of music by just judging or, or uh, comparing music with music the, uh, a big part of the of the story falls under the table. Because there is one thing which, which struck me about this, this is not a criticism, but it, 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 there is very much a sort of European bias, not even a British bias, and, and if you think about the relationship with, with rock music in particular and with the relationship between rock and music, it's very much an English and American thing, whereas you've concentrated on the German aspect of it, or very largely on the German aspect of it. Yeah, maybe there can be a part two of the show uh, one day where where the the focus shifts towards other um, countries, other continents. Maybe one of the reasons is this is a, a, a very personal show. Also, um, I 
I suggested and I was asked to to um, to do the show on the basis of the interviews that I've done in the past three decades and. And of course, I did the interviews not only because I was commissioned to do them, but also because it was my own intention to meet all these people. And I met artists, I met uh, uh, musicians, and yeah, maybe mainly European artists. But then again, um, because I think when you when you started, which was what twenty in the late eighties, something like that, early nineties, yeah. then the, the all the big stars of of art were German. Uh, Basilis and Lupert's and all those people. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm uh, growing up in Germany, in West Germany. Uh, of course, meant if you were not blind that you were. Um, I mean, Joseph Beuys was was still alive, and uh, but, I mean, those those were the big stars in the early '80s. These were the really big yeah, stars I mean, in the art world. I mean, Joseph Beuys. I, I think he was a pop star for me. I mean, for me, he was a bigger pop star than than, than Mick Jagger. But so this is how I grew up. And I, I said before that this is a very personal uh, curated uh, exhibition. So basically, there's a lot of um, yeah personal memories also in it, or the way I see the world. But then again, it's not about me. It's about a dialogue. I may ask some questions, but then the answers are much, so much more important. Okay, well, I think that'll do. Thank you very much indeed. Um, I should look forward to seeing the exhibition. All the noise going on was was the exhibition is still being prepared. It's the day before the openings, and the people with ladders and paintbrushes and, and everything else helps the noise. But anyway, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. That was Max Dax, curator of the exhibition Black Album White Cube, which runs at the Kunsthalle in Rotterdam until the beginning of 2021. Arts Talk magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk Radio with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk Magazine, all one word, dot NL. Arts Talk Magazine, dot NL. The exhibition at the Kunsthalle is a relatively modern affair, tracing the relationship between art and music only as far back as 1990. So there's lots of electronic and progressive music. Barry Visser made his name 20 years earlier with good old rock and roll when he created Mojo Concerts and its first major event, the Holland Pop Festival in Kralingen in 1970. This was the biggest rock event to date in mainland Europe, and Mojo went on to become, and remains, an important concert promoter. I spoke to Barry Visser in Delft on the 50th anniversary of the festival, and asked how it all started. In the beginning I was um, fascinated about the uh, Dutch artists, and they, uh, we have a Dutch word for it, cabaret. and. Uh, it was a typical Dutch cultural phenomenon. And then at one point I uh, started a discotheque in Delft, Bali Magoo, and uh, the DJ played records. Uh, what, what year was this? We were talking about um, 
we're talking about 52 years ago. And he played like the, the likes of Vanilla Fudge, Pink Floyd, Stevie Winwood. Um, and that opened my eyes for, for the pop music. And then Paul Ackert, a well-known promoter, at one point organized, he presented uh, a double bill in the Concertgebouw Amsterdam with uh, The Doors and Jefferson Airplane. And I went there and I was sitting there in the Concertgebouw and I thought, Jesus, wouldn't it be nice to do something similar like this? And then I bought a ticket for the ferry to London and I entered, uh, I had one address, NEMS Enterprises, and there I, I got in touch with Neil Warnock and uh, he, in the end he came with a bill uh, Jetro Tull soft machine and I was able to rent the Concertgebouw in Amsterdam. Uh, it's a long story but in the end I succeeded in, in renting that place. It was sold out and that is the beginning of Mojo Concerts. Uh, so how, how old were you, you were then? You were sort of early about 20? 20, 22 years or something like so that. So it's a big, a big thing to take on. I mean, it, a big financial thing to take on, isn't it? I mean, you must ha you have to pay deposits and things to the bands and yes. things like that and for the hall. Yes. Do you know how much it cost you to, to mount that? Uh, in that time, well, the tickets, they, were, uh, they started at six guilders and the top oh, tickets... Guilders, hey, those were the days. The, the, the top tickets, I believe, was... 15 guilders, so the fees of the artists were uh, uh, asked were compared to now were quite um, uh, not that high, but still, uh, if that concert was uh, if if that first concert of Mojo uh, wouldn't have been sold out. Uh, maybe the whole mojo wouldn't exist because the the the, the big event, the, the the main thing that got you off the ground was the Kralingen Festival in yes. 1969, and that was the sort of Dutch Woodstock or the Dutch Correct. Isle of Wight, and, yes. and and from then you never really looked back. Yes, that 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 the Kralingen thing um, happened, and um, uh, I was lucky. I must say I was very lucky, and I, I also was. Um, I didn't have any money. And I, I, at one point, I didn't have a site, a location. All I had was the program, the the the, the lineup, because I met Frederick Manister, who who at that, that who at the time organized a festival in Bath, and um, England, and I. I went to see him, and I said, um, I'm, uh, I intend to do a festival similar uh, in on in Europe, in Holland. And I asked him, can we not bring the American groups together? So uh, he agreed, and, and that's why I was able to have this fantastic lineup. And then, uh, but I was looking all around the country for a site and talking to people uh, to get uh, sponsoring, etc. And at one point, uh, somebody knocked at the door here in, the, in this place, and it happened to be George Knapp, and he had, uh, um, he had the same idea to do something uh, in, in Rotterdam, and um, the two of us, um, he drove me to Rotterdam, he showed me around the Kralinger site, and uh, of course I was impressed, and, uh, and from then onwards um, we uh, organized the, uh, the Kralinger event in, um, we did it in three months. I moved in into their house with, um, and uh, we did it uh, with one telephone and 
things, three things were much easier in those days. You could actually do it like that. Yes, for, yes, that's true. Um, after the Kraninger Festival, I'm, uh, I, I, I started working together with Leon Ramakis, and um, we became partners. And then we did a, in we did a, the first stadium concerts in Holland, and that was with Bob Dylan and Eric Clapton. And from then onwards, um, we did many big concerts. Uh, we had we were lucky that um, when I started Mojo, it was a, um, the music was you could call it a subculture music, and then uh, gradually gradually over the years it became a uh, very uh, mainstream mainstream and mainstream means many people big audiences um, but you must have had even from the very beginning you must have had really large audiences um, because it was the first time these acts were were available in holland yeah correct but but the Kralinger, the, the the first large audience was um, the Kralinger festival somewhere around 80000 people but still it was early days for the for the pop music and then over the years it became real uh, for the masses, and then um, uh, we had the stadium concerts, and the Ahoy was built, and um, the North Sea Festival um, that was created by Paul Ackett. And actually, um, Mocho concerts uh, took over the North Sea after I already departed from Mocho. That is a thing Leon Ramakers did. And um, uh, in Mocho, I, I, I developed uh, like a. Uh, the Pandora Music Box Festival and I Abbott in Wien, and then, um, then of course came the Lowlands uh, Lowlands festivals, which I think last yeah, which already been going on for 25 years. And um, but but you're not involved with Mojo anymore. When did you? No, I you? left her. I, I I believe it's already 25 years ago. So it's a very long time. Hmm. Do you miss it? Not really. No, so, how no. Many, so how many years were you active with Mojo? Let me let me calculate. Um, I think I was active um, twenty five, thirty years, uh, something like that. And I suppose that was that was a full time job. How many events did you do each year? A lot, mm. and, and they increased over the years. But uh, don't uh, nail me down on numbers. <laughs> but uh, that must have been a, a terrible lot because. Uh, to, to a certain extent, um, I think Holland was almost deprived, you could say, in the 60s and, and early 70s of, of progressive of, of rock music, really, because there were, no, there were no Dutch bands, were there? There was Focus, and that was about it, really, yeah, on the, the international stage. Yes, correct. The, 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 uh, Holland, uh, uh, the, 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 like the Dutch uh, music lovers, they, they focused on English and American groups, mm -hmm. and, and, the, um, and the Dutch... I, I believe the Dutch groups they 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 got their inspiration from the English groups. They looked at Simple Minds and all those groups but, and but, tried to create. But Focus was quite unique. Focus was unique. Yeah, I, I must say Focus had their own typical Dutch uh, authentic sound. But the Dutch pop music, uh, I believe, uh, looked a lot, listened a lot to the English and American music. So the the, the Dutch the Dutch kids really were were. were uh, as we would say, ripe for picking. I mean, they were really keen to to hear all this music live. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. And they 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 say Holland was the main, the gate to uh, like the Eagles, 
uh, did the first gigs that became popular first in in Holland and then afterwards. Did you promote elsewhere in Europe? Did you put on concerts in Germany or France? Or um, not really. In the beginning, I did a tour with the Soft Machine in other countries, and Marlene Dietrich. Dietrich, we did three concerts. Um, uh, two of them in 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 Belgium, but. Um, for most of the uh, the program, the most of the yeah, only Holland. We didn't uh, um, go into other countries. They you, had you, their own promoters and etc. Did, did you never? Because I think at that time of the early eighties, in particular, the, it was the start of the the rock videos, which became a very big thing. Did you never? Were you never tempted to get involved with the other aspects of the media? Personally, talking, no, I wasn't that uh, interested. I was interested in in presenting groups. Uh, in the beginning, it was only the groups I liked, yeah. So, but that doesn't that, that that's not a way to 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 make a, a, to to grow um, a successful um, promoting agency because you have to cater for the audience, and um, and one of the other things I uh, I liked is to put my own creative creativity in it. Which I did with uh, t- with the Pandora Music Festival and with the Aina with the Wien, but I wasn't the guy to um, uh, Leon Ramakers. He was the guy to make the, the uh, yeah, to go for uh, enlisting the North Sea Festival in Mojo after Paul Acker died. He was he yeah he was more into building it into a very big company, and I was more uh, interested in um, new things. And that's at one point I, I I decided to leave the company because I want I wanted to um, how do you say that in English? My own creativity to employ. You want to be more creative, right? Yes, I do my businessman. Do my own thing, and uh, I started with a cabaret and with a small uh, a theater, and we had on. Where, the, where was that? Uh, at, Couple of streets from here in the student uh, okay. so- society. Yeah. And uh, what, sort of, what sort of cabaret was this? And we invited Dutch artists, but we 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 were talking about thirty people on a Sunday uh, evening, and uh, and actually I'm I'm quite happy. Uh, that's how I started, and um, and then it, with Mojo uh, we were talking huge numbers. And uh, I mean, Mojo really competed with any of the largest promoters in Europe. Yes, yes, one of the biggest. One of the biggest. That was Barry Visser, creator of Mojo Concerts, talking about the Kralinger Festival, which was in fact in 1970, not 1969, as I said in the piece. And that was, in case you don't remember them, T-Rex with Mark Bolan. Arts Talk Radio Online. Well, doesn't time fly? That's the end of another edition of Arts Talk Radio. We'll be back in a week or so, hopefully with lots more interesting people to talk to. If you have any comments, please leave them in the box below. We're always going to be pleased to hear from you. My name is Michael Hasted, and so till the next time, it's goodbye.